0: Please listen as Mike Sloan, our assistant pastor, brings the message that God has for us on this Lord's Day. Please uh, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Colossians chapter 2. As most of you know, uh, Alan and Barbara traveled to Mississippi yesterday uh, to be with family there for the holidays, and they will return next week. But if today we will look at Colossians chapter 2. If you will uh, turn there, uh, it is located on page 984 of your pew Bible. In uh, Colossians, as as Dan mentioned, uh, he's writing to the church there at the city of Colossae. And uh, unlike most of Paul's letters, he's writing to a church that he did not actually know personally. Uh, I believe the letter to the Romans is the only other church that Paul had not actually planted himself or, or met the people he was writing to. When Paul uh, was ministering in Ephesus, he actually sent uh, Paphras to evangelize that area. And so, though he didn't know them personally, he had a deep spiritual connection to them. And indirectly, he was their spiritual father. He had been responsible. The Lord had used him to spread the gospel uh, there. So they owed their lives to them, in, in a sense. And Paul, this comes out in the letter when Paul is talking about this connection. He says, I am wrestling in prayer for you. And Epaphras as well. We struggle in prayer on behalf of you. And he shares that deep connection with them. And like a good parent, uh, basically these two verses that we come to in Colossians 2 are Paul's uh, highest hope for these, his spiritual children. So this is what he wants for them. The sum in the heart of the entire letter. And the sum of the letter is continue to walk in Christ. So let's read the word of the Lord. These are the words of the risen Lord Jesus speaking to you. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are your sheep, and we ask now that you would feed us from your word for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now Paul tells them to continue to walk in Christ because they were being tempted to come away from the Lord Jesus. They lived in a city uh, where they were tempted by from many angles to conform to beliefs and practices that were not in line with the gospel, that were not in line with the truths that they had learned about Christ. Colossae was a diverse and, and thriving city and so There were so many things going on that were pulling them away, and they were as diverse as different ideas that came from Greek and Roman philosophies that were uh, in the air. There were uh, also uh, different beliefs, uh, different practices and superstitions that came from the indigenous uh, religion uh, that had been there long before the Roman Empire. They were also tempted by uh, different Jewish customs of adding human traditions and laws, and all of these... The danger was, if they bought into them, they would be pulled away from the truths of the gospel, from their Savior and, and Lord. And so Paul uh, is is writing to combat those false ideas, those false practices. And it's hard to construct, reconstruct exactly what those temptations were that were to pull them away. Because all we have are Paul's words rebutting the teachings. So we have to sort of use that to get an idea. But when we look at what Paul says to them, he says he uses a key word over and over. He talks about fullness, whatever it was that they were being tempted and being pulled away with. These people were offering them a fullness, something more. So whether it was a belief or a practice, some sort of a superstition, some sort of uh, laws that they were to follow to, to lead a good life, whatever they were, uh, they were offering more. And Paul says, look. There is nothing more. You have everything in Christ. The fullness of spiritual life. Whatever that's being offered, Christ is sufficient. So don't leave that foundation. They were false promises. Now, there was not all bad news. Uh, Though they were tempted, though this was a serious threat. Look at verse 5. There was not all bad news. He says, For though I am absent in body... Yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So as of this point, they had not departed from Christ. So there's a lot to be encouraged. And so the message here in verse six, then, is therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, continue in him. Keep it up. Persevere. Uh, So Paul here calls us to live in a way that is worthy of. Of the Lord Jesus, whom we confess, whom we received as Lord and Christ. And I'm sure you can think of examples all around us where you are being promised more, to get more out of life. Um, And all of us, in our our sinful nature, our selfishness, at times can think, I can do it. If I can just latch on to the right belief, the right idea. hunker down and live a more disciplined life. I can do it. I can find the key to get more out of this life. Paul says we have to reject that type of thinking. Now, once he commands them to continue in Christ, in verse 6, he says, in verse 7, he gives basically four characteristics or statements of what this life of continuing in Christ actually looks like. And that's how we're going to organize our thoughts uh, for the rest of our time. These are four statements that basically expound what he means when he says continue in Christ. This is what a life continuing in Christ looks like. So let's look at the first one. The first one, he says, you are to be, in verse 7, rooted and built up in him. So the first word there is rooted. Uh, When we think of roots, we think of a tree, naturally, with putting its roots into the ground. But the word here is actually also used of buildings, of putting a foundation into the ground and rooting a building into, a ground, into the ground. And because it's paired with rooted and built up, a clear reference to building, that's probably what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the foundation of a building being laid. Uh, and, of course, he says we're to be rooted in him, which, of course, is a reference to Christ in the verse before. So to be rooted in Jesus... It means that we don't shift from the hope of the gospel. We never shift our lives from being founded upon Christ himself. Uh, shortly after Emily and I were married, I remember we went to homecoming at Covenant College. And it was the first year that Dr. Neil Nielsen had taken over as president of the college. Uh, After the retirement of of Dr. Brock, and we went to uh, a little alumni gathering to hear Dr. Nielsen speak. We wanted to meet him and and see what he was like and know a lot about him. And I'll never forget in that talk, he said, uh, how are we going to move forward here at Covenant College? What's going to happen? And I'll I'll never forget. The first thing he said was, well, we're going to move forward by by the fact that we're not going anywhere. We're not leaving our foundation in Christ. This college, what we're about is Christ is the exalted Lord. He is preeminent in all things. And he's the redeemer that's going to restore and, and buy back the whole creation. So that's our foundation. We're not going anywhere. That's how we're moving ahead. And, of course, he went on to talk about other things. But I appreciate it so much that that's where he started. And notice in verse 7, the verb here is, is past tense. It refers to their coming into relationship with Christ in the past, but this particular tense, the nuance of it, it highlights the present consequences and reality of that foundation. For example, uh, Emily and I have been married now for eight and a half years, and in the past we were married. We took vows, we uh, promised each other certain things, but the important thing is that in the present, those things carry forward. And what matters is that our relationship is ongoing now, that those vows are being carried out now, and our relationship is strong now. That's what counts, and that's the idea here. You were rooted in Christ, but is that continuing? Is that a present reality? That same past-present idea is clear in verse 6. As you confess to Jesus is Lord and Jesus is the Christ... So continue to walk in him. So we have been united to Christ. And that commitment carries a call today not to leave this foundation. Now, why would they want to leave this foundation? Uh, that is basically what Paul is reminding them of in verse six. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Christ. Why would you leave this foundation? One. Why would you leave this foundation? Have you forgotten whom you're dealing with, is what Paul is basically getting at. And that's why Paul began the letter, we, which Dan read earlier, this uh, look back into chapter 1 at verses 15 to 20, which uh, most agree this is likely an early Christian hymn or confession about Christ. Why would you leave this Christ? That's why Paul begins in such a majestic way. Let's just read it again, verses Uh, 15 to 20 of chapter one. Remember, Paul is saying, whom you received as Christ and Lord. And then he this is what he says. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So, where else would you go to found your life? And taking these two together, that Christ is Lord, the Creator and Sustainer of the universe, and that He is the Christ who died for you on the cross, what do we come up with? The Creator and the Sustainer of the universe has personally loved you. He loves you dearly. The Creator and Sustainer of the universe. Where else would you want to found your life? So, to Paul, this is madness to speak of leaving Christ. Christ, he says in 1 Corinthians 8.6, he says, There is one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And, of course, we know Jesus himself taught this so well when he told about the foolish man who built his house on the sand versus the wise man who built his house on the rock. Any other foundation than Christ is going to fall someday with a great crash. So if someone were to examine our lives closely What would they find? Would they find more and more that our lives are determined and driven by Christ? Have we rejected any rival loyalties so that what we do, how we do it, why we do it, all of our priorities flow out of this foundation in Christ? And that's why Paul tells them later in the letter, this is what he tells them to do. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. So to walk in Christ means, first of all, that we're rooted in him, in that foundation. We're founded in Christ. Secondly, in verse 7, look again. He says, next, we are to be built up in Christ. As I mentioned, Paul is continuing this metaphor of a building being constructed. And once the foundation is laid, the building goes up. So continuing to walk in Christ means that we are growing and being built up in our maturity in the faith, receiving Christ Jesus as Lord is not the it's not the end. that's the beginning because he is Lord and he is Christ. There's endless implications and applications to be worked out into our lives as we believe the gospel and put it into practice. So both Paul and Epaphras, uh, as they were praying and wrestling, Paul says it twice in the letter. This is what his deepest hope is for them. As they're walking in Christ, early in the letter, this is what Paul says. He says, Him we proclaim, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul's prayer, his struggle, is that they would grow up and be mature, be built up. And he says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, the energy of the Lord working through him. And at the end of the letter, he reminds them, Epaphras, who is one of you, he is a servant of Jesus Christ, and he greets you, and he is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. says the same thing, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So Paul and Epaphras, their spiritual fathers, what are they praying for? What are they struggling for? That they would be mature, that they would grow up. They would progress in holiness and in knowledge in the Lord Jesus. And it's notable that in this passage, uh, the commands are all plural. Uh, The call to be built up is plural. This is something that we are called to do together. We're called to struggle with one another on our knees, that we would all become more and more mature. I hope that we are learning to pray that way more and more here at Old Peachtree, to pray Uh, For so many things, but especially that we would be built up to be more mature, that we would have more trust in Christ, more obedience and less of ourselves. And this battle does not come by our own power. It is only once we understand that we have come into a relationship with the living Lord and Christ. Paul has gone into our position in Christ earlier in the letter that we stand completely forgiven, completely justified, declared righteous in him. It's only once we grasp our position in Christ that we can struggle and strive for maturity, for holiness, because it's not going to come about by human effort, only by growing in him, in Christ, being built up in Christ. And that means depending on his powerful work, his mighty work in us. If we ask him, there's no shortage of enabling grace he will give as the exalted Lord in Christ. So as the foundation is only in Christ, being built up is also only in Christ. Nothing more is needed. There's no special key out there that you need to find to unlock. There's no... A higher plane, a secret way to a higher plane of Christianity. There's no second baptism that is needed. There's no uh, more spiritual rules that you need to incorporate into your life than the Word of God. There's nothing else that you need to add. The power of Christ is sufficient. That's the second way that Paul says we're to walk in Christ, by being built up in Him. Third is to be, look at verse 7, established in the faith. Now, established in the faith, you might think, well, it sounds like Paul just wants us to grow in our faith in Jesus. And, of course, that is a major way the the word faith is used in the New Testament, speaking about our personal faith in Jesus. But another major way that word is used is to refer to the content of the faith, the truths of the gospel. And it is likely that is what Paul is talking about here. Look at the almost a, a parenthetical uh, statement that follows when he says, "Established in the faith, as you were taught." Because of that statement, it's almost certainly uh, certain here that that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about being established, being firmly uh, strengthened in the truths of the faith. These were the truths that they were taught. Now, what were they taught? Remember in verse six, what were they taught? As you received Christ Jesus, the Lord. What were the truths that they were taught? Christ is Lord. uh, Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Christ. These were the summary of what Epaphras, when Paul sent him to evangelize, this was the heart of what he preached. This is what uh, they heard and they received. The hymn that we read from from chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, another bigger summary of the preaching of the truths of the gospel that they received. And this is the heart of the apostolic message. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. That's the heart of what they preached. So the command to be established in the faith means that we are compelled by Christ. To pursue knowing more deeply these truths, the truths that Jesus is Lord, that he created all things, that he upholds all things, that he's redeeming all things. The Apostle John teaches the same thing as Paul in Second John chapter 1, verse 9. He says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Why are John and Paul teaching the exact same thing? It's because they both got it from Christ. This is what Christ taught in John 8. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So when Christ says, when you abide in my word, he's speaking about his teaching. Truths of the faith, especially about himself the Creator, the Redeemer, the Restorer of all things. The entire content of Scripture is about Christ. And so we are called to imbibe them, to to know them, to go deeper. Dick Lucas says it this way, A hallmark of the Spirit's work is an unquenchable thirst to learn. The new learning must be consistent with the old. The Christian who grows in knowledge can claim fuller enlightenment only insofar as he remains loyal to the saving gospel truths that first he was taught and which led him to Christ. You cannot grow out of the basic truths of the gospel. So on one one level, the statement Jesus is Lord is very simple. And on one one level, Jesus is the Christ is a very simple truth. Yet we'll never plumb the depths. But we're called to try to go to the scriptures to learn more about that and to take them up into our lives. So it gives us reason to persevere, to not give up pursuing our personal readings in the scriptures, to sitting under Alan's preaching and to attending Sunday school and and having family worship. Pursuing the word of Christ is what we're called to do to continue in him this year. We need to continue to grow in the truths of the faith. So the final one, we've seen that we're to, be, to continue in Christ, to be rooted in Him, to be built up in Him, to be established in the truths of the faith. And the last one in verse 7 is that we're continuing in Christ means that we're to abound in thanksgiving. So bearing in mind all that Jesus has done for us, This means our lives are being marked with a continual giving of thanks, with gratitude to Him. So continuing in Christ means that we are people who are always praising the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to Him, because we never get over what He's done for us. We never stop being amazed at His grace in our lives. There's, in this short letter, seven different times at least, where Paul mentions being thankful, giving thanks. Don't take it for granted. In any relationship... As a a child, as a a parent, as a a spouse, as a friend, it's easy at times to take that relationship for granted. And Paul is calling them not to do that here, but to abound, to overflow with thanks to the Lord Jesus. Not let uh, the complacency creep in or familiarity gloss over what we have in him. Now, the word thanksgiving here does not mean simply kind of an inward thankfulness, inward attitude. Of course, that's implied. But the word here actually means giving thanks, speaking thanks, giving uh, audible praise. Uh, It's an outward expression of rendering thanks. So what this calls us to do is actually through public and private prayers, uh, hymns and psalms and confessions of faith, as we sing those, as we recite those to Give thanks to God. Praise Christ through those. One scholar has, I think, made a pretty good case that here this word of giving thanks is basically a technical word in this context for confessing Christ in the liturgy of worship. Uh, praising uh, Christ using, for example, the hymn from Colossians 1, that early hymn or confession, to basically uh, confess Christ using those truths and thank him that way for what he's done. And this fits in the context because later in the letter, in uh, chapter 3, verse 16, we read the command to let the word of Christ, now I'm quoting, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. In your hearts to God. So when we sing here on Sunday mornings, when you sing at your in your homes, we are to say it in thanks to the Lord Jesus, to declare to him that all that we have is from Him, and we'll never forget it. So do you want more out of life this year? Where are you going? Are you continuing in the Lord Jesus? That is what we're called to do. For him in Him We're dearly loved. There is no other place we can go to be loved by the Creator of the universe. And He is alive today, working powerfully in us to grow us in the faith, to aid us as we mature, walking in Him. So if you have a vital relationship with the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus says to you, continue in Me. Continue growing in Me. If you, as it... As we all we all do at times neglect that relationship, if that's where you are, the Lord Jesus says to you, turn around, come back, come to me and let us grow and walk together. And if you have never called upon him as Lord and Christ, there is no one greater. You cannot find a more able savior to find uh, to be loved, to be forgiven in whom the fullness of deity dwells and in whom are all riches, all the riches of wisdom and knowledge. So what more is there in life than a relationship with the Lord Jesus? May this year be for all of us a year where we walk ahead in Christ, being grown in the faith and not moving away from the foundation that we've received from the absolute Lord, Jesus the Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for what you've done for us. We praise you and we ask now that you would uh, strengthen us and make us mature in the faith. That you would grow us to make us a a beautiful building, uh, knit together in love here at Old Peachtree. And that we would always uh, sing your praises, confess you truly with thanksgiving in our hearts. We would overflow in gratitude for you. Our Lord and Christ, we pray this in your name. Amen.